Please say it correctly. Racómelo. Okay, I'll never say that right. Yes. Welcome to the Exploring Washington State podcast. Here's your host, Scott Cowan. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the Exploring Washington State podcast. My guest today is Elias Mastrogiannis. Did I say that right, Elias? You did, yeah. Correct me. Okay. Absolutely. I, Great job. I've got to start I gotta start picking guests with names like Smith and Jones because <laughs> I struggle. But Elias, you are the owner of uh, Master Giannis Distillery and Winery. We first heard about you from a collaboration you did with our friends at Saltblade for an Uzo salami stick. So that's how you came into our into our reality. And uh, we find out you're doing a whole bunch of other stuff. So why don't you... Um, take over so I don't have to talk and tell us about, well, first off, why did you open a distillery? Let's go with that question. Absolutely. And well, and your backstory too. Yeah. Well, first <laughs> of all, thank you for having me. It's, it's really an honor to, to talk to you and yes, you guys are doing great with the podcast. Love it. I've been listening quite often. So really thankful for, for being here, but yeah, our, our distillery initially started, um, early towards middle of 2015. Uh, the idea for the distillery came really from uh, growing up in Greece. So I was born and raised in Greece, uh, migrated here when I was 16, uh, went to school, kind of did the, the whole thing, university eventually, ended up getting married and staying in the region. Um, and yeah, towards those 2014, 2015, I was trying to figure out, okay, what can I do long term, uh, really mm-hmm. with more creative side attached to it, uh, and yeah, those those kind of early memories of my dad and mom, uh, my both parents. My my mom was a farmer, tobacco farmer, so I grew up around uh, tobacco farm in Greece. Uh, my dad was a mason turned winemaker turned distiller, so he he started as a mason, essentially, you know, laying tile. Um, in okay. in in uh, various uh, structures there, and kind of towards uh, the last twenty years of his life, uh, turned into winemaking, uh, and as a hobby into that, a uh, little bit of illegal distilling as well. So he he kind of made a little bit of grappa, <laughs> which is the equivalent of uh, moonshine here. Uh, but he was using okay. grapes for everything. Um, and yeah, those early memories came, uh, you know, kind of the idea of, you know, making a grape branded distiller in the United States uh, was at least new to me. Uh, and as I started doing research, it turns out, you know, not a lot of people do that. Very, very few, probably one or two distillers within the United States at the time were doing uh, grapes um, as kind of the core product. And yeah, we, we started down that path and figure out the details and the legal implications and licensing, equipment, and um, yeah. So just a simple, straightforward, easy one, two, three path. No no hurdles, no government intervention, opening a distillery, super simple, right? 
Super simple. Absolutely. No, it's quite the opposite. But I would say this, it's so much easier to do it in the United States than anywhere else in the world. You know, coming from that uh, a different country would be probably 10 times harder. So the U.S. Oh. has, uh, the, the at least the way that I see it, the structure is much more clean, very organized. Yes, there's rules and regulations that you have to go through, but uh, the the TTB, the, essentially the body, the federal body that we work with, uh, all licensed beverage producers have to work with. So if you're a winery, mm-hmm. distillery, brewery, you have to go through the TTB. Uh, I think they're, you know, they're they're really good at what they do and they have their process down. So it's fairly easy to go through the federal level. Uh, local and state can be a, a bit of an issue depending on what you're trying to do. But yeah, a lot of, a lot of issues on that front as well. One thing, and I don't, you know, I've talked to some distillery owners. I've talked to some brewery owners. In my recollection, something about, and I don't know if this is the case for, for what you've had to do, but breweries have to have like their equipment set up for many months before they can even begin to uh, put product through it. Is that is that the same for a distillery? It is actually. You have to have a wow. physical location, so you have to be uh, have a lease or bought the building, depending on your situation, and mm-hmm. have either equipment in place or in order. So you have to show physical paper that. Uh, you have the, you know, the still in our case or the tanks or et cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, the, the, one of the biggest one is the, the location that you have to show that, you know, it's under uh, the, the control of the business essentially. So, so without trying to go, you know, what, what do you think the reasoning is? Why do you have to have the equipment so far in advance of production? What, what do you think, I, 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 that's the one piece, that, and I'll come at this from a, the brewery standpoint, I, I didn't understand the way it was told to me, or the way I understood it, let's, let's rephrase that, is that, you know, they, they had the facility, and they had the equipment for, let's just say, a year. That seems like a really long time to have equipment not functioning. Why, why is, in your opinion, you know, without, you know, but why do you, why is so long? What are they looking for? What is the regulatory agencies looking for? Yeah. So first of all, the, that year long process is probably a, a one-off. I don't think uh, okay. it's fairly common to wait a year. Uh, I've okay. heard stories of six months, you know, I, uh, I waited okay. uh, after I submitted my federal application. It was about three month period. Uh, okay. So not too bad. Um in terms of the why, uh, I think it's, I, I don't honestly don't know if there's a law behind it. I, I don't think there is one. Um, it's one of the prerequisites. And then in, in terms of just getting the paperwork uh, submitted and reviewed, there might be a lot of back and forth. So if you made a mistake on your application or if you <laughs> didn't provide the right information that they were looking for, they're very strict mm-hmm. on that front. So that might delay your application. So if you didn't yeah. do a good job upfront with just the diligence of providing everything uh, and being clean on and clear on that, that might delay it. Mm-hmm. So I don't think there's a law. But I think if you if you are very good at submitting that application to its fullest, uh, your chances of uh, getting a an agent and once you get the agent, they approve, uh, mm-hmm. which will help with that uh, with that delay. Okay. So you went through you jumped through all the hoops. What was the first product you guys started producing? 
Yeah, so our first product was a a ouzo, which is an anise flavored. Uh, uh, it's it could be a liqueur, it could be a spirit, depending on kind of the producer itself. But yeah, it's very common mm-hmm. in, in Greece. Uh, it's m- probably one of the most common worldwide uh, Greek drinks. Um, but yeah, it's it's essentially uh, we, we use grapes as our base to distill it okay. into somewhat of a clear. Uh, unflavored spirit, uh, with still some of the body of the grapes as kind of the 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 backbone, and then uh, some of the botanicals, anise seed being the primary one. So ouzo is very similar to like a gin, if you familiar with that. But instead mm-hmm. of a juniper, anise being the primary ingredient uh, into the recipe. Oh. Uh, so we started with an ouzo, and then kind of involved uh, to different products. So, and I'm on your, I'm, I'm on your Uzo's page right now. So is Uzo traditionally made with great, a great base or is it, is that's where I'm, that's where I'm, I'm confused. So is it traditionally a great base? It started that way. Uh, so if you look at the okay. history of how Uzo really started in Greece, it was a grape based product. Uh, okay. Still some producers use grapes. Uh, a lot of the Greek producers have moved into grain and or sugar uh, bases. Uh, but yeah, the, mm-hmm. the original, the kind of the historic, if you look at the books and how it was produced, mm-hmm. it was a grape-based product. So uh, we, we used a lot of that historic uh, uh, heritage and kind of see, okay, how do we produce it back in the day? but also apply some modern mm-hmm. techniques and obviously our own spin. You know, we're, we're not trying to copy anybody. Uh, we're mm-hmm. trying to use local if we can. If not, obviously we'll try to source. But uh, yeah, put our own spin and make it to uh, what we really like to drink and hopefully some other people will enjoy as well. So typically what I'm finding is that distilleries in, that I've talked to They've started with, let's say, a vodka or, or a gin, something that is um, faster to market versus, say, a bourbon or whiskey, things that age. So Uzo doesn't – do you age? Does does Uzo have an aging – is there any, you know, barrel-aged Uzos or anything like that? No, traditionally, yes. So it's, it's not a barrel-aged product, and that's really one of the reasons that we started with that as well. Uh, mm-hmm. We started because, yeah, it didn't require that aging process of two, three, or – 10 years, regardless, you know, some products might require. So yeah, it was a fairly quick to market product that we can uh, uh, leverage for some income to the business so we can grow it. Yeah, that's, well, that's, I mean, yeah. Could you imagine starting a distillery and then aging your product for 10 years? Uh Yeah. And there's actually some businesses that do that, you know, it just, uh, it, it really depends on the model and what you're trying to do. Okay. So after Uzo, where did you guys where did you go? Yeah, so we did a grappa, which is really inspired by my dad. So the whole inspiration for the distillery, again, it kind of is rooted from his uh, his inspiration upon me. Uh, mm-hmm. So he was distilling grappa when I was growing up. Um, actually, right before I started the distillery, so kind of late 2004, I went visit him during winter. Uh, we did a few distillations together as well. So I kind of uh, saw it firsthand how things were done, kind of saw his technique and his process uh, and kind of took the best parts. You know, I added my own little uh, 
you know, twists and, and changes to it. But uh, yeah, we went, we, we moved you into a grappa, which is essentially uh, grappa is produced as a way to reuse that original uh, grape product. So as okay. a winemaker, you take grapes, you press them, if it was a red or a white, eventually after fermentation, uh, and you make wine. Uh, but what do you mm -hmm. do with that original uh, product, which is actually the grape skins, the seeds? Uh, so as a way of reusing a lot of uh, a lot of Greeks and a lot of you know Balkans and kind of Eastern Europeans use that original product to make another product, which is uh, grappa, uh, very common in Italy again, Greece. Uh, Eastern Europe, uh, and yeah, it was just a way to just try to maximize that initial investment and produce a secondary product. Um, so yeah, we we did eventually the same process uh, where we took grapes and and distill them into a grappa. Also on age, so, uh, we we didn't age it, although you can age grappa, so you can produce it into a barrel age expression. But we decided okay. to keep it authentic and and go that route. Because I don't know anything about this, and you've said something that makes me curious. So you're taking the, the the skins, the seeds, and all of that that's left over. What are you doing with it? How so? Is it how are you fermenting it at that point? And you know, walk me, help me out here. What what's yeah. the step? What's that process look like? Absolutely. So it depends if it's a red wine. So if it's a red wine, it usually ferments with the skin. So uh, mm -hmm. from a winemaking perspective, you ferment the wine with the skins, which really gives it the color, the body, the tannins that you really taste on the final uh, product. Uh, so okay. it, it doesn't, grappas made from red uh, uh, grapes do not require re-fermentation. So because the, those skins are already fermented and they already okay. contain alcohol in them. All we do is essentially boil off that excess alcohol off the skins uh, okay. that would otherwise not be uh, used. Uh, if you were using white grapes, usually uh, from, a, again, a winemaking perspective, you don't ferment whites on the skins. So that means mm -hmm. they have a lot of sugar in them because uh, as they press, essentially, they discard that. Uh, so you can take the actual white skins and actually ferment them. Uh, if you add water and a yeast, uh, it will start fermenting on its own because it has a lot of that natural sugar into the okay. into the grape skin itself. And then from a production standpoint, uh, we uh, our initial batches were red wine-based, so it didn't require that secondary fermentation. So we took essentially pure grape skins, added them into our pot still with a little bit of water because it does require, because it's essentially very heavy mass type product. Okay. Uh, okay. And then distilled that off. And we go through a double distillation. So after we collect the initial, uh, we call it low wines, which is essentially kind of the the uh, first distillation, we run it through a second distillation through the still to kind of uh, clear up and kind of capture uh, more of the uh, more flavor profile that we really like and, and enjoy. So grappa isn't particularly well known in our in, in Puget Sound, what, what you know, Washington State. How has it been? What's the process been for you to like educate the consumer on on this? Because this is something that uh, you, you grew up with. You were saying it's you know common in the Balkans and things like that. So how's that been received um, locally? Yeah, for sure. 
one stat I want to throw out there is, you know, if the listeners are aware, Washington is one of, it's the second largest wine producing region in the United States, second to California. So uh, it's, it's really a shame that we don't do a lot of grape based distillations because we're, we're producing <laughs> very high quality grapes, uh, both in uh, Eastern Washington, obviously, but also on this side of the mountain too, there's small um, uh, AVAs and vineyards that we produce uh, from here. But in general, we have a lot of great fruit that we don't utilize uh so really i start with that uh and i start with really we have high quality grapes uh mm-hmm. and you know starting with a great base being the grape itself uh really tends into a really delightful distillate you know it's more flavorful the bodies is really uh uh great full body usually and you can really taste the grapes and more of the terroir. So if you're talking about terroir, grappa is the definition for me because you really taste the earth and the type of grape uh, that it came from, how it was distilled. So if it was a white, like a muscat, very aromatic. If it was like a Cabernet Sauvignon, full body, kind of kicks you in the face a little bit. Uh, so really it's the definition of terroir for the distilled spirit space is grappa. So I usually tend to kind of start with that direction and really yeah in the beginning it was more people that were aware so people that did travel to greece because uh, grappa is very highly consumed there too mm-hmm. uh or you know kind of maybe in italy or that area uh but now we're seeing more people that that are outside of that scope because uh they're they're curious so they're looking okay what's out there and then they're looking at brandy and then by uh sequence they they're tend to try the grappa and they they tend to love it as well so then you also do brandy yes nice segue huh see yes. how we did that absolutely so what got you started what got you started with brandy yeah brandy kind of fell in place really it was um our our first year in production we purchased four tons of riesling and that came off after, you know, many, many months of trying to decide what type of grape, and we can maybe deep dive into Riesling a little bit and why that choice. But um, we purchased, yeah, four tons of Riesling, which was our first ever, you know, kind of big for us purchase at the time. Uh, and our goal was to produce a grappa, right? So we're like, okay, grappa seems to be good. We seem to be producing it really well. People like it. Let's continue mm-hmm. on it. Uh, so we... The, the way that we approached it is we took the grapes, fermented them, uh, you know, separated the skins uh, to produce mm-hmm. the grappa. We're like, okay, we have the, the wine. Let's start distilling the wine as well and see what we can do. Maybe an eight, maybe a, a version of an aged brandy or something else. So we produced our grappa with the skins. And uh, as part of the distillation of the wine, which was that white base, essentially, uh, it, it was coming off the still super aromatic, super delicious. And I'm like, oh my God, this is so good. And, you know, doing a little bit of research as well during the time, we decided to put it in barrels so we filled two barrels of our brandy that year uh and as it started developing so you know six months a year a couple years we started tasting and we're like this is so good and uh really that took us down the direction of trying to 
switch gears a little bit and become a brandy distillery. So uh, focus okay. on barrel aids expressions. Most uh, keep those traditional, you know, the ouzo and the and the grappas on the back, but then put our hat on um, as as a brandy producer and hopefully one of the best in the regions and then eventually in the United States. That's very cool. I'm not going to say it right. What is, is it Racomelo? Right. Yes. You you said it pretty good, actually. Yes. So okay. Racomelo. What is that? Yeah. So, wait, wait, wait. I talked over you. Please say it correctly. Racomelo. Okay. I'll never say that right. Yes. Okay. Racomelo so, <laughs> is okay, too, as well. That's great. What? So it's brandy mm-hmm. that you've infused with honey. Yeah. Tell us, that's that's kind of interesting sounding. Yes, absolutely. Where, yeah, so the, those kind of those products again come from inspired by Greece. You know, so every year mm-hmm. we try to go to Greece, uh, spend time with family, and during the summer we're like, okay, what are we drinking? You know, so it's it's usually quite a bit of wine. So we try to do local <laughs> wines, which are super delicious. Uh, okay. But you know, every year I try to do kind of focus on a spirit. Uh, one of those years was Racomelo, or Racomelo, which is essentially. Uh, uh, produced in crete so the island of crete kind of invented the recipe which is essentially in a way uh unaged brandy and it could be grappa it could be anything you know that starts with grapes essentially Mm -hmm. Uh, and they infuse it with honey cinnamon and a little bit of cloves uh, and yeah, we, we drink quite a bit and, uh, th- there's some good producers some bad producers, obviously, you know, d- depending on what you prefer. Uh, but we really liked, uh, the, the idea, but with a little bit of a different concept, which is a little bit higher ABV. So we produced our, our version of a, a little bit higher, uh, alcohol content and a little bit less sugar. The, the racomelos that we tried in Greece were a little bit more syrupy, less ABV, you know, 20% or mm-hmm. so. Ours is at 35, 34, depending on the batch, mm-hmm. uh, with a little bit less sugar, which makes it a lot easier to mix. So, uh, and th- that was really the idea to produce a kind of a honey brandy that it was super easy on its own, but also mixes really good for like perhaps cocktails, the bartender, you know, kind of that, that, uh, area of the business. Um, okay. yeah. What, give me an example of a cocktail with this. What would you make with this? Or how would you, if I came over to your house and you were going to serve this to me, to, how would you, how would you present it? What would, what, how would it be consumed? So there are a couple different ways. So you can do, uh, it makes a great Negroni. Uh, so okay. essentially Campari uh, with that, um, mm. uh, maybe a little bit of vermouth. Uh, another favorite of mine is a Paloma. So with a little bit of grapefruit, uh, a little bit of club soda. Uh, okay. obviously shaken over ice, maybe a few bitters, uh, and then a little mm-hmm. bit of nutmeg on top or skip it. If you, if you not a nutmeg fan and just okay. lots of ice, super, super delicious, uh, mixes great with Coke, Sprite, um, with lemon Coke? soda. Yeah. It's, it's phenomenal. It mixes really, really well with whatever you throw at it. So, and, um, it's really one of our best sellers for that reason, because it's, it's really, easy huh. to sip on it on your uh, on its own uh, uh-huh. people make a lot of hataris during winter right. um, yeah. so that's another way uh, and then yeah some are just ice cocktails and really how do you prefer uh, to drink anything else so you, you threw me with the coke 
I, that's not what I would have yeah. come to on my own. Yeah, it actually has a little bit of a cola smell to it. So when you, once you crack it open um, and put it in a glass neat, uh, it does have a little bit of obviously the honey, cinnamon, and in my opinion, okay. a little bit of that cola uh, flavor profile. So Okay. Let's see, how do I want to... Well, first off, I, I think it's 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 great that you're taking you know your heritage and 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 reimagining it here locally. And I, as I told you on the phone when we talked before, I I kind of you know I don't think of Lakewood, Washington, as a winery or distillery location. I just mm-hmm. I just don't think of it. And you explained to me though that um, that the city of Lakewood and, and that had been great to work with, and and they've been you know a good collaborative uh municipality so that's that's encouraging moving forward what do you have more product i mean you're going to expand because you said when you go to greece you try you know you try different spirits all the time so are you more things on the horizon that or just more production what what's this look like for you in the future yeah for sure uh we're definitely as i said earlier kind of leaning heavily towards brandy. So that's been mm-hmm. our focus for the last four years, I would say. It, it took us a while to kind of understand what we're good at and what really our equipment is good at. Because that's okay. another mistake that a lot of distillers are doing is like they're trying to produce, you know, vodka and this and, you know, all these different products that, you know, might sell, but are you going to be the best at, you know? Right. Um, and the way I see it is what can I become the best at? Uh, what are we are going to be known for? Uh, mm-hmm. And I can tell you for sure, I'm not going to be a vodka distiller because I, I don't think I can produce the best vodka in the world. And and that's been okay. our goal is to produce the best brandy that we can possibly do. Um, and we're far from it. You know, it's always a learning opportunity. Every year is different. Grapes mm-hmm. are harvested once a year. So that's that's a challenge on its own. Um, but yeah, w- with with that in mind is we're, we're trying to put more brandy, get bad at it, uh, the, the best at it, uh, mm-hmm. either grapes or how do we source grapes from where we source grapes to the type of barrels. Uh, so definitely brandy uh, going forward. But being okay. a winery also allows us to kind of flex a little bit on that side too. So we we are putting away some red wine, uh, mm-hmm. uh, and and see how that project will potentially evolve. So we haven't released the red yet. Uh, we okay. have a rosé, um, but yeah, we're trying to kind of play in that area a little bit and see eventually a red wine. Uh, but also from the wine side, we can actually produce a vermouth. So because of vermouth, it's under the, the winery license. You can't really produce it as a distilled spirits plant. Uh, okay. We can produce a vermouth that mixes really well with our barrel age expressions because we kind of use the same basis for everything. So having th- like that flexibility uh, where we can offer the consumer, look, here's a cocktail that you can make with all of our products, the vermouth, mm-hmm. the brandy. Here. So you can make a Manhattan, for example, right? Uh, and buy all of our products from, from us and kind of go that direction where everything is kind of uh, kind of crossover from both sides of the of the business. So yeah, I would say vermouth for sure. The, the red wine probably is going to be next. Um, and then, yeah, probably more variations of barrel-aged brandies. Uh, because again, we have uh, we can play from both sides between 
the the distillery and the winery so we can cross brandies over age them in in uh, red versions of our wine and kind of uh, mm-hmm. all kinds of creative ways to 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 produce a flavor so what barrels are you using are you using to when you're aging the, the brandy what what barrels are you using yeah, that's a great question. Uh, we, we started with uh, X wine barrels. So that's been mm-hmm. our one of the key differentiators that we started with is uh, trying to use uh, uh, red wine barrels, uh, primarily because I, I personally like that red fruitiness that the, the that type of barrel gives you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we still barrel age, uh, I would say, 80 to 90% of our base brandy in X wine. Uh, But we also started introducing, we call it the STR version, which is the shaved, toasted, and recharred barrel. Mm -hmm. And it's essentially a process where we work with a cooperage um, and they take uh, the wine barrel. uh, Essentially, they they open the, the, the sides of the barrel. They go with a specialized machine in and shave a percent, a very small millimeter of the uh, the surface of the staves to expose mm-hmm. new oak. So uh, they expose a little bit of new oak, leaving a little bit of the old oak in, and then it goes through a process very similar to the bourbon industry where they, they toast it. Essentially, they mm-hmm. put it open open flame to create two different layers. So the toasting layer creates those um you know uh the, the vanillas and the and the and the uh, the caramel profile and the brandy and then it goes through a second layer of charring which acts as essentially a, a heavy filter for the for the spirit and what that mm-hmm. does is as we age the the spirit into those barrels and it matures through season so through seasons you know summer it expands into those staves uh, winter it kind of shrinks back in and it goes through seasons in and out, in and out of the barrel. And it, it brings in those characteristics. So it brings in that red fruit. It brings in a little bit of the vanilla because of the charring process and the toasting and, and the oak flavor that might be similar to like a bourbon. Uh, so yeah, we, we primarily use X wine barrels and we use those specialty wine barrels that we custom made for us uh, okay. to add different... Um, components and a different layer to the brandy that's okay you mentioned earlier you 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 try to source locally as best possible and in washington state we've got a lot of of grape growers primarily are you getting your grapes from eastern washington or are you where are you getting your grapes from primarily so we again about 70 percent comes from eastern washington uh, Yakima Valley is, is a big producer for us. So we work with a grape grower there. Uh, we also have a grape grower on this side of the mountain. So uh, they're right outside the Puget Sound AVA. Uh, they're located in Winlock. Actually, there's a, there's a small seven-acre vineyard uh, run by Chris out there that we have a great relationship. Uh, they're about 50 miles from, from our distillery. So we work, okay. uh, work specifically with a very, very cool grape variety. Uh, that does great for branded distillations. Uh, but we also work with uh, California growers as well. So we do source a little bit from California because they're such a big producer. Um, mm-hmm. So we, we are bringing grapes and juice uh, from from that side as well. When talking to people that are in the wine industry, and I fully acknowledge that my you could 
you know, put a mask on my eyes, blindfold me and give me three, you know, three, three varieties of, of wine to say, you know, which one do you like? Um, I would be the wrong person to do that. If you were hoping that I would, would not probably pick the Franzia box wine That'd be just my luck. Um, but one of the comments people make is that the, especially over in Eastern Washington, the smoke has impacted the the grapes and given them kind of a, um, a, a smoky, um, tint maybe. Does that impact the brandy at all? Does, does, does the, the heavy smoke, has that impacted the product? Absolutely. Yeah. So smoke definitely is, is an issue. Um, and, and there's ways that you can definitely get rid of it from a distillation perspective. Uh, okay. Obviously, it depends how heavy that taint was. So, uh, mm-hmm. as with everything, uh, distillation really concentrates those flavors. So, it might be hard uh, when you think of a wine and what we're doing it when we're distilling it is we're concentrating those flavors 10 times. So, okay. we, we try to start with really good bases uh, that don't have that, uh, if, if possible, possible. um, because it will just elevate those bad components. Again, depending on what you're trying to produce, you can definitely remove components or perhaps a hundred percent with a high ABV distillation. So if you're bringing it into a very neutral state, um, Mm -hmm. like a vodka, for example, so if you're producing a grape vodka, uh, you can definitely remove those, uh, side effects, but from, a I want to touch a little bit from from a winemaking perspective. Uh, we don't pick grapes the same. So if we were to make still wine, we would pick grapes differently than we would make okay. a distillate, and that's it's very important. And a lot of people don't really understand that, but it's it's different grapes, obviously, that you have to worry about. But there's also the sugars, the acidity. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of components that really started with the base product, but uh, it, depending on where you want to go, uh, you have to make different picking decisions and treat those grapes differently if you were to distill them versus uh, winemaking. Okay. How did you connect with Salt Blade? And because I'll be honest with you, when my daughter said, hey, they got this Uzo stick, and I went, mm-hmm. on the surface, it just, in my brain, I was like, doesn't seem like a, a match that I would like. And I tried it and I enjoyed it. So how did you guys come up with the idea of doing, you know, how did you meet Bob, um, Bob Blade? And how did you guys end up collaborating together? What was the, what was the motivation there? Yeah, absolutely. No, the actual, I think it was all their ideas. So I'm not going to take any of the credit. Uh, it was, uh, if, if I mistakenly, Bob had a, one of the employees at, their business at the time, I'm not sure if they're still there, uh, proposed, hey, let's bring in a, 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 a Nuzo flavored. I think they were doing the, the, the boozy trio thing, they call it, yeah. where they, they mm-hmm. do a gin, a whiskey, uh, mm-hmm. and they were proposing to do perhaps a Nuzo. So, and then they were like, okay, does anybody produce a Nuzo locally? And then they were able to track me down. Uh, mm-hmm. and that kind of worked out. So yeah, they essentially, uh, it was that inspiration. I think that they were looking to do a, a third addition to their trio 
they landed on ouzo being a good flavor because of the anise um mm-hmm. and yeah they they tracked me down and uh the rest was history and then actually it turned out really really good that i was very surprised in the beginning too to see uh ouzo in a in a, a salami but it it definitely adds a different layer that i that i enjoy too okay so you you were surprised by that at first too. i was yeah <laughs> okay yeah because that's my my knee jerk to that was Huh. And I enjoyed it. I mean, I, I, I enjoy and I, I, I truly enjoyed it. So it was, I would not have thought these two things, you know, like that old commercial for chocolate and peanut butter, you know, uh, you know, I just wouldn't have thought those two things would work together. And, and yeah, I was actually surprised did. when I start seeing large quantities of Uzo. I'm like, huh, who's this person? <laughs> so, <laughs> well, so I don't know that you would know the answer to this when you say large quantities. I mean, how much ouzo was going into in, did they ever i maybe maybe this is pr- secret proprietary recipe thing but how much ouzo was going into into making these sticks i don't know so i don't know that process and i don't have yeah. visibility behind the scenes but yeah i mean they were they were buying larger than the average uh okay. consumers less business you know because again ouzo is okay. not is not the typical pe- thing that people look for so Right, um, right. Yeah. Yeah, no, I just it was kind of interesting. But it's I think it's wonderful when when businesses local businesses collaborate together and and you know and we we stay in that, you know, in the in the in the region if you will. You wrote a so a couple of things that the audience probably doesn't know about you is is on your website you you do blog posts, but you also host a, a podcast. And your podcast is about distilling. We'll come back to that because you wrote a blog post about cigars and brandy. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really interesting, um, interesting combo. And so I'd like you to elaborate a little bit on, on that, on that process and how much research did you have to do to get that article put together? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I do enjoy the occasional blog. So yes, we, we do try to keep up with the blogging section uh, we either try to talk about, you know, what's top of mind or some of the directions that we take with the company. I try to be super transparent, um, you know, for sourcing, where we source. Um, you know, we're trying to be very, very open about anything that we, we're trying to do. So, uh, mm-hmm. and that equated to the podcast as well to kind of uh, get get out there and try to talk to other people primarily distillers and see what they did, what worked, what didn't work, uh, which also mm-hmm. helps people that are behind the line, essentially people that want to open a distillery and get into this type of business. So, uh, but yeah, from, from that cigar and blog or cigar and brandy, uh, post, uh, I, I love cigars and I love brandy. So it was, it was a perfect fit to kind of come up with that. Uh, and mm-hmm. it was really, uh, trying to pick cigars that I would, I enjoyed over the year. So, uh, you know, I, I usually try to get them, you know, locally if I can. Total Wine has a really good selection in my opinion. So uh, if you're in the area, mm-hmm. Total Wine has a, a, a good, decent selection of cigars. So yeah, I would go in there and kind of throughout the year, uh, pick different ones. And, you know, the ones that really stood out, uh, I would, you know, make a little note on my, on my notes app on my phone. And I figured one day, let's put a blog post together of kind of uh, what brandy really, what, what cigars really work well with our brandy. So yeah, it was kind of that base idea and came up with, uh, with the post. 
So why do you think brandy and cigars go well together? What is it for you? For me, it goes back to that, uh, the beautiful red fruit that our version of the brandy has. It, it's really, obviously, you know, smooth is a descriptor that you, you hear a lot, but it's smooth, uh, but it has this beautiful red fruit that accompanies uh, that tobacco, uh, burn ash type uh, flavor really well, in my opinion. So I was trying to match a cigar to that flavor profile. So from, you know, the, uh, the ones that I smoked throughout the year was like, which ones really stood out and what I thought in, at least in my palate paired really well. Mm -hmm. Well, all right. Now let's add food. Mm -hmm. Give us an example of, you've got your wine, your wine, uh, uh, box right now, which is the rosé with some chocolates for Valentine's day and rosé for the cure. What else, what goes well, uh, how do I want, give me some, some pairing suggestions that might not seem glaringly obvious. From the distilled spirit side. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, traditionally you, you don't drink distilled spirits, at least in my, in my family, as part of dinner, you would probably do it before or after, uh, okay. so I would probably start with, with a cocktail that I, does lead into a, a dinner with some type of wine, at least that's my preferred okay. and that's what we kind of do in our family. Uh, so mm -hmm. I would probably start with a very basic, either Manhattan or an old fashioned. So those are kind of the typical brand, you know, essentially you can take any whiskey cocktail and translate it instead of whiskey, add brandy, especially the barrel oh. expressions. So, uh, you know, a, a great Manhattan, which is really brandy and a good sweet vermouth, in my opinion, uh, over mm -hmm. ice with a little bit of orange peel, shake really, really well, strain into a coupe. Uh, it's phenomenal. And it's, it's a, gr a great starting to uh, a great start to a, a great meal that again, you can accompany with, with a nice, with a nice okay. uh, wine. And then also, again, maybe an old fashioned. So if you want a little bit more sweetness to it, uh, you know, again, the, the simple syrup with the brandy, some bitters uh, over cubes there and ready to go as well. So those are kind of probably my pairings would be essentially before you go into a meal um, right. to start with that. And then, yeah, accompany it with a nice, beautiful red or a white or a rosé, depending on the, on the mood. That sounds quite delicious. Yeah, and, really. and Greeks do that a, a lot, especially with ouzo. If you think of how ouzo is consumed in Greece, if you ever visit, uh, it's really, it does not meant to be part of dinner. It's meant to be mm -hmm. a pre-dinner uh, way to kind of open up your appetite. You know, Greeks do it as a way, they, and they drink very little, right? Maybe one to two drinks at, at the most. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's a way to kind of open up your appetite. Yes, you do have some uh, tapas, some appetizers to kind of accompany it a little bit while dinner mm -hmm. is cooking or lunch is cooking. Uh, and then they dive into the main uh, course with some wine. And then perhaps they'll finish with a grappa or a brandy with, with dessert. I always ask, if, always ask this question of guests. Are you a coffee drinker? I am. Yes. Okay. That's good. We'll get along just fine then. Yeah. It's a little late in the show to figure out if we're going to get along or not, right? <laughs> Where, uh, 
got any coffee recommendations for me next time I come across the mountains? Where should I go get coffee? So I, I, I'll be very honest. Uh, I'm a home drinker. So I make, I, I, I love my go-to coffee anywhere I go is a nice Americano. So that's, that's the, okay. that's the go-to. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, I do love making it at home for some reason. So I'll recommend my favorite bean, which is, uh, okay. I think it's uh, Tony's out of Bellingham. Oh. Uh, yeah. And their blend is Espresso Noir, if I remember correctly. Oh, yeah. uh, I just love the that type of coffee for the Americano style that I like. Uh, so I do a stove top. So I, I grind, uh, pat, stove top, espresso over lots of oh, ice with okay. a little bit of water. Uh, and then I do a little bit of dash of cinnamon. So that's my, that's my go-to. You know, I, I asked this question of, pretty much every guest unless they tell me they don't like coffee and then no, I'm just kidding. Uh, today I've recorded so far we've recorded two episodes today that just haven't been really when you, people are listening to this, they've been released, but I've recorded, I don't know. I think we're 140 recordings. They haven't all been released yet. And today two different coffee companies that hadn't been mentioned before. I think that's funny. Uh, uh, Tony's, which is uh, out of Bellingham, and they make good coffee. And then Olympia Coffee Company was mentioned. And, and once again, I was like, when you guys, when you said Tony's, I'm like, no one said Tony's. That's funny. And then Olympia Coffee was the same thing. It's like, it's so interesting to listen to people um, about any anything. I mean, we all have our opinions, right? And, and coffee is just kind of my 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 go-to thing. Listening to people's um, taste in coffee. So you do the old school, the old um, over uh, stovetop. Yeah, the, I got that little Italian. The, um, trying to yeah, make, yeah, and then yeah, put water. Fresh. And mocha pot. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, mocha pot. Yeah, mm-hmm. and okay. uh, yeah, I got the six cup version. Yes, I think I got the big one. <laughs> okay, so I can All fit right. quite Which a bit of coffee a, in there. Six cups is a lie. That's yeah, a I think so too. It's like says I don't think so. Yeah, it's like no, two shots. This is one serving. Yes, this is exactly. one serving. <laughs> yeah, no, I've always I've always gotten a kick out of like, a, oh, this is a twelve cup French press. <laughs> yes, no, no, no. <laughs> yeah, this I love that. And it's, it's my go to for the last I would say two to three years now, and yeah. Okay. All right. So you have it. So your website says that you have a tasting room. I, I dare, do I dare at, is it open given, given the world right now? And we don't know if anybody's open. Is your tasting room open? Yeah, we, we try to be by appointment at least uh, uh, okay. every Saturday. So we kind of limit to one day to kind of figure out people coming in. Uh, but yeah, we're mm-hmm. open every Saturday from 11 to four. Uh, more than okay. welcome to stop by. We were very, very small, tiny, tiny operation out of Lakewood. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, you feel free to stop by, do a tasting. Uh, do some barrel sampling, kind of check our production. Again, we're very open and very wow. transparent to what we do. So can you get, I, dare, I don't want to say a distillery tour, but can you actually see the facility? Absolutely, I mean, yeah. Can, we're essentially okay. in one location. We do everything. So <laughs> Okay, okay. Super, right. super easy to, to see what we're doing. Okay. So when you're not doing this, what do you and the family like to do for fun in the area? Yeah, What's- absolutely. Yeah, uh, usually because I have I have three kids, so usually some outdoor activities is always preferred. We try to do uh, a rotation of zoos, so Point Defiance is one of our favorites. So that's usually our go-to place, large enough area okay. where we can do a picnic or just go see the animals and 
and have mm-hmm. a great day there. So, okay. And I'm trying to think, well, let's, let's, let's just go with this. So, well, let's go, let's come back to the podcast. Mm-hmm. You, I know you have talked to other distillery owners. Have you found the community of distillers to be supportive and, and, or is it full of secrets and we don't want to tell our, our, I mean, or is the industry in your experience been, um, supportive and you, you keep, you keep saying transparent in for your company. Uh, how, yeah. What's it, what's your experience been? Yeah. I think to, to the ones that I've talked so far, uh, they're very open to help. Uh, they often even give out emails, phone numbers, and these are some, you know, pretty big companies. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, so very open to helping others come up, uh, with, you know, any type of question that they have. Uh, I try to add a mix of technical questions, but also business related questions, because that's, that's a very important aspect. And in mm-hmm. most cases, uh, they're, they're very open with being open to their kind of essentially production process and what they do, uh, protocols. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's been very, very open to my opinion. And, um, made great connections you know you can pick up a phone right now and call and have somebody troubleshoot with you with you know uh with no problem well that's 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 great that brings me a question i want to ask you you said troubleshoot that means problems you've had to have had a problem somewhere along the line where you thought something was going to go one way and it it didn't care to share any any um bumps in the road and and most importantly after that if you're willing to what were the what what did you learn from the bump in the road absolutely yeah the i think you know from small issues to like uh filtration you know filtration is a big deal uh, especially for a small business where uh it's really expensive to buy equipment um so yeah we have over the years, numerous issues with filtration. So either a bad filter or maybe didn't sit properly or maybe the the thing was not cleaned properly prior to you. So a lot of, a lot of issues like that that we just caught perhaps late. So we either had to dump the batch or, uh, you know, uncork, you know, uh, how many cases and potentially not reuse it. So things like that, but also... D- direction wise you know it took it took me a, a a very long time to understand what i mentioned earlier w- what we're good at uh and that was through a trial and error error of multiple years a lot of a lot of money into buying raw product uh and kind of figuring out what we're are going to be good at so and and came into the conclusion you know brandy is kind of our, our our thing and doubling down on mm-hmm. that. So, uh, I would say probably those are kind of the, the big ones. Um, yeah, it's, it's, I always find it interesting because I think we learn so much when we, you know, in, in hindsight, I think we learn a lot when we make a mistake and we sit back and then look it over and go, Oh, I should have done this. And next time I will do that. I think we all learn a lot. And, you know, let's, let's be honest. Business is super simple. That's, you know, it's no, kidding i'm totally joking it's uh, every entrepreneur should be um, acknowledged for being a risk taker and uh 
just appreciate it. I mean, no matter what, no matter what the business is, uh, whether it's it's just it being a distillery, selling salami, selling, you know, gasoline, it doesn't matter. It's just it's a lot of work that very few of us understand unless you've done it. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you know. Well, yeah, got- absolutely. It's it's very hard <laughs> to put a product out and nobody buys it. You know, it's it's it messes oh. with your not only emotional but your you know it's it's a very hard thing to swallow yeah. that says, look, I worked on this for three years, but there's no interest. You know, and it doesn't matter the product. Um, no, so you're right. It, and you know, it could be an online thing, could be a physical thing. Yeah. Cause you put, you put time and effort and it's your baby, you know, you're, you're close to it. And sometimes that proximity isn't, isn't good. Cause you're too close to it. Speaking from personal experience there, where can people find your products? Um, what I do know is you're only currently shipping to Washington state, mm-hmm. correct? You're not. And that's a whole nother conversation about, you know, shipping to other states, but, uh, where retail locations where, where yeah can people absolutely find yeah it? so we're direct to consumer so you can definitely buy from us if you're within Washington State we ship directly to you uh, and retail is Total Wine so most in uh, Western uh, Total Wines we they usually carry at least one or two products depending on the on the location okay okay and we'll put links to um, your site and all that below so show notes so people can click on it we'll f- wrap it up with this question. And this is how I skate. What didn't I ask you that I should have? What What did we overlook in this conversation that I should have asked you? Mm. The, I'll, I'll, I'll turn the tables. This is one of the questions that I ask my podcast listeners. And it's, what is uh, the best advice you ever received? It's not fair. I get to ask the questions. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so the I'll, I'll ask advi- you first and then I'll, I'll, I'll do my the- turn. Best advice I ever received. Probably a very, and I'm, I'm pondering, wow, it's a long pause. Hopefully we'll shorten that pause up for the listener. Otherwise, sorry, folks. Basically, the 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 best advice I ever received, and I'm going to paraphrase it, is be true to myself and have confidence that what I'm thinking about is worthy of pursuing. That's kind of, you know, the best advice I ever received. Absolutely. Yeah. And it, it could apply to a lot of things. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, it was, I think, the, I think there's many. That's, that's really the truth, uh, if I were to say it. Mm-hmm. But one that really stuck and I always go back is uh, don't dabble and really uh, oh. stick to one thing and kind of go go all in and trying to do the best job that you can. So don't try to see what others are doing or, you know, yes, it's okay to look for inspiration and uh, mm-hmm. similar industries perhaps, but yeah, stay, stay focused and, and be true to yourself as well. Very similar to what you just said. And, yeah. and uh, yeah, stay the course. Go deep. Don't go wide. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Maybe the other advice that I got that I probably should have listened to is don't put that fork in the outlet. <laughs> Um, I didn't, I my grandmother yelled at me once and said, don't do that. Too late. (laughs) I really did. Yeah. Too late. I was probably like six. Um, yeah, but no, but see, I think I, you know, I think from a, in a world where technology is so prevalent and accessibility is so prevalent that developing a sense of focus and concentration, which is kind of my interpretation of that don't dabble, but like 
turn off the ringer on your phone, Mm -hmm. concentrate on what you're doing, get it done without being distracted by, you know, a social media alert or, um, you know, an email from a, a friend, not saying to ignore responsibilities, but we're so easily the, these devices that we carry with us ding and flash and, and, and vibrate all the time. I think having, and here I am, you know, putting out a show for people to listen to. So, you know, mm, uh, but I think having that, the ability to concentrate, focus, be present with what we're doing. And in many cases going deep and not dabbling, mm-hmm. you know, just, I think is, is, is very important. Absolutely. Yeah. And so. to your point, I think it, it could be not only a notification or a social media, it could be a bad email, right? You know, for me, it's, you know, examples of countless of distributors where I send an email and there's, there's crickets, you know, so, or a comment or a review on a product. Um, and you, you got to look at those that are opportunities to perhaps improve. Uh, but also, yeah, mm-hmm. stay very focused and know your skill set. And it goes back to what you said: trust your, trust your your skill set and your leadership to to proceed forward. And kind of put that noise aside, and because uh, it always it will always be there. Oh, absolutely! And you're not going to please everybody. Your 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 brandy isn't going to please every single person that it in you know, my podcast doesn't please every single listener. Um. And that's okay. Hopefully we're that's in, okay. Exactly. It, it's okay. Yeah, exactly. It's okay. Well, I'm, I'm excited. I'm going to, uh, I'm looking forward to trying some of your product here and, uh, I, cause short of it being in the Uzo stick, which I don't think is a fair representation of the product. Let's, let's be honest. I got to try it in its or intended format. I'm looking forward to that. And I, uh, I wish you all the continued success and I, I look forward to, to staying in touch and hearing about what you guys are doing and how you're growing. Thank you, Scott. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me on. And uh, yeah, appreciate it. Hey. Join us next time for another episode of the Exploring Washington State podcast.